how often someone is interacting with the customer. And by that, I mean the customer actually responding. So whether it's replying to an email, taking a call, that kind of thing, doing a Zoom, those sorts of things just weren't available before. And they're hugely significant because you can see and the, the correlation between customer interaction and a closed one deal is massive. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by David O'Neill, who is a consulting partner at Rain Group and has extensive experience in the world of sales. David, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to be here. So David, my first question to you is, you obviously have had a uh, illustrious sales career spanning 25 years. How have you seen sales ops evolved during that time? Oh man, it's been radical to say the least. Um, so when, when I began selling, the CRM system um, was a big lever arch folder with cards inside it. Um, and uh, transferring an account from one sales rep to another involved passing cards across the desk. Um, that, that was literally it. Um, and uh, the, you know how invoicing was done and client interactions from an ops perspective um, weren't visible at all um, to salespeople. I think the other thing was at the very beginning, um, metrics were a whiteboard with numbers written on it. Um, and it was either you hit your target or you didn't hit your target. Mm. Um, actually, when I began, um, I'm going to admit that on my first day was the first day that sales managers got emailed, um, which wow. is kind of shocking. That was at News UK. What is now News UK was then News International. So the group heads at the Sun got emailed the first day I started work. Um, but they did have telephone tracking. And the way that telephone tracking was used um, was literally, it was a rod. If you didn't do three hours, 30 minutes without going call time, that's it, you're in bother. Even, if you, hit your, even if you hit your sales target, you were in bother. Um, and that's kind of where where my relationship with ops began was, oh my God, I have to do a little bit more on the phone. Um, so it wasn't really very inspirational. Um, it wasn't really showing me how I could do better. It was just measuring what was wrong with me. Um, and I think from there, I went through a few different places, but uh, and I saw some really interesting approaches. At the Institute of Directors, um, they had one woman um, who was ops. Um, and uh, she really didn't do any analysis whatsoever. It was just, no, that order form isn't correct. 
And I think that's been very much the flavor of how the relationship between sales and ops for me has been for the larger part of my career. It's been that kind of ops's role has been to say what you're doing wrong um, and not remotely uh, about helping sales to be more effective. Um, Interesting. So this is the I big see. insight. Um, yeah. And I think I, I, I think this has been echoed from other guests as well, that ops now is more less of a... Um, I don't want to say cost center, but more of an opportunity to improve sales efficiency. One, one quick question before we move on. Back in, in the earlier days when ops was about telling you what you were doing wrong, was there a formal sales ops role or was it the sales manager that was doing that or the head of sales or someone else? No, they were, they were all ops roles. Um, so they had a separate person doing that, I think because the sales managers weren't trusted to do it right. Um, I will say, by the way, that there were a couple of people that I came across in my career some time ago who had a very advanced view of how ops ought to work. Um, in my, uh, I spent some years working with the Barclay Brothers when they bought the Telegraph and the Spectator and all that stuff. Um, and there was, a, there was a chap there, Guy Vandenbush, who was finance and ops. And that guy really nailed it. He understood what sales were doing. He wanted to understand how we went about our job, cared about it, and was coming to me constantly as a sales director. There he was coming to me constantly saying, "Hey, this guy's this guy could do with some more work on this part. His sales are falling out in the same part of the pipeline." We were doing that off paper, but he wanted the help, and it was an amazing attitude to have that someone was there to support and help and try to help us grow the business, which was kind of awesome. And there've been a few people like that over the years, very advanced, and I think. Today, we're now trying to get to the point where everybody does that as standard, but it's nice that there were people who were, you know, in the vanguard of doing that. And so you see, you're seeing more and more sales ops people who are coming with this mindset of, I'm here to serve the, the sales rep, which is the customer for them. Yeah, I think it's becoming more common. I have to say, I think for some sales ops people, that sits a little uncomfortably, that they still kind of want to be the police. Um, but I, I do think there's been a, a shift in attitude, certainly in the last five years. Have you seen any other big changes or shifts in the past 25 years? Well, the fact that everything became computerized has been shocking. Um, but you know, the, but I, I do think that our ability to to measure what actually matters in sales has been hugely significant. Yes, I mean, look, in the end of the day hit your sales target, that matters, right? <laughs> it's a fairly simple measure. But actually, there are a lot of indicators which are now visible, which weren't before. Like, for example, customer interactions. But if you've got an opportunity uh, tracking how many, how often someone is interacting with the customer, and by that I mean the customer actually responding. So whether it's replying to an email, taking a call, that kind of thing, doing a Zoom, um, those sorts of things just weren't available before. Um, and they're hugely significant because you can see, and the, the correlation between customer interaction and a closed one deal is massive. Um, and that's a really, really helpful thing from a sales director perspective is to be able to see, hang on, we're not interacting with that particular type of customer. They're not responding to this type of outreach. They're not, you know, they're falling out of the sales pipeline at the same stage. But you can see what's going on from the interactions. And I think it's a much more honest view um, of what's really happening rather than just 
that guy doesn't know how to do a, how to build rapport at the beginning of a sales call, right? Uh, <laughs> it's a lot more, mm. I think, into the nitty gritty of what really goes on. And I think sales are recognizing those sorts of analytics as of value rather than threat. And that matters, I think. I mean, you totally talk our language because we, uh, we do some of this stuff at EFSA. But that last point you made, which is quite interesting, is that you're saying that now reps are also becoming aware that this information is useful. Um, whereas uh, historically, or it's very clear that the sales leadership and sales management would find the information useful. But, but you're yeah. saying now that reps are also starting to take notice. Yeah, I, I think so. And I th- look, I think there's a duty on the part of sales managers and sales directors to sell these sorts of analytics through to through to the individual reps. Um, but what I have found in terms of, you know, when when I onboarded people 20 years ago into sales, showed them how to do sales and all that kind of stuff, um, they really didn't care particularly. They just wanted to get on the phone and sell some stuff. And their willingness to go to a classroom to learn more was quite limited. The attitude of people coming into sales today is quite different. They seem to have a significant eagerness to learn um, to you know to constantly gain more knowledge, almost to the point of it being irritating. Frankly, just leave me alone and do your job. You know, <laughs> but it's great that people are so eager to learn, and I think that really plays into the hands of using analytics in an effective way to help people get better because they're willing. But I think there is a big duty on the part of sales managers and to to actually sell this stuff through the effectiveness and the usefulness of it. So did, do you think you did this effect? I'm putting you on the spot here, uh, David. Do you think you did this effectively in one of your previous roles? For example, the role at Echobox. Do you think that your sales ops uh, was adding value? Do you think that you were tracking these engagement metrics? Um, I, everything I've ever done has been extraordinary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, he works in sales. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, I think... Um, the, the, the relationship with Ops at Echobox was really interesting. Um, and, uh, and I think one of the most effective relationships I've had in 25 years. It was not without friction. Um, we fought tooth and nail about just about everything. But because there was a quite um, entrepreneurial spirit in that business, the motivation for scrapping over everything we, we discussed was actually really good. We were both going in the same direction. Um, and I'd say the consequence of that was that we ended up with an analytics set that, you know, dashboards on Salesforce, uh, which actually mattered, which salespeople were looking at. Now, listen, at the beginning, they weren't perfect. It took time. And, you know, there was a lot of salespeople going, why this doesn't show what I've really done and all that kind of stuff. So it took a lot of work. And I have to say, it's one thing I think is appalling is that Salesforce really is not a plug-and-play service. It mm. just doesn't work. Uh, and it takes a lifetime to get anything remotely close to what you actually need, which is kind of a shame. If only HubSpot could sort themselves out with uh, with reporting, um, then I think they'd have a lot more customers. But what I, I think what, what Echobox achieved with those dashboards that were created in collaboration with me um, I think it's been extraordinary. And I know that the sales team there today still check their dashboards constantly throughout the day. They're speci- and they specifically look, when I mentioned interactions earlier, they specifically look at interactions with individual ops. Got it. They're like, hang on, who's dropping off? Who's dropping off? Who do I mm. need to press? And I think that's great. So really effective, actually. Got it. And apart from the, 
seeing when prospects are engaging. What other like graphs or metrics did you provide to the reps that they were like, I'm not so sure how valuable that is, but then they realized it was. Was there any other data you were giving them? Lots. Um, they could see literally everything, which I think was a very important thing. So they had visibility across every metric that was there, um, which I think is hugely important. The one I think that's probably is the old-fashioned one, actually, which was how are they doing against their target? Mm. And that actually mattered. That being visible live really mattered. And it's a, it's a difficult thing to achieve because... You know, sometimes you have a customer who signs a contract, but it's not going to become, you know, declarable revenue for three months because that's when the contract actually is dated to start and all that stuff. So there's some, you know, there's, there's some confusion about it. But being able to see live where they are against their target really mattered to people because they knew that was a solid number. I, I think that was a hugely significant thing. Being able to see where they were through their prospect list. So, you know, when I started at the at, at News International, the Sun, um, leads meetings were photocopies of newspapers and then you cut out the ads that were yours um, to go and sell to. Um, these days, you get a, a huge number of leads allocated to you on Salesforce and that's your you know quarterly prospect list to work through. Um, being able to see how many of those you've emailed, how many people in each of those companies you've contacted really helps to make sure you're working it properly. And I think that's actually started to become quite significant to a lot of people because they were kind of going, I'm behind, why am I behind? Mm. Um, and actually, it was right there. Uh, they could see it in front of them. They could see a little chart going across that showed, hang on, I haven't contacted five people, 10 people, or whatever it is I need to, depending on the size of the business. So that was hugely useful. So the, the build out of these dashboards, did you like write a list yourself of, I want all my reps to see all of this data, send that to the sales ops person and they built it. Is that the how that went? Yeah, the, uh, the VP of sales at Echobox um, asked me what I'd like in an ideal world. Oh. Uh, which was, I, I, listen, I think it's, it's his first ops role, uh, but he's quite a brilliant guy, um, Seb Humphrey. Uh, but I, I think that was a huge mistake on his part. Because uh, <laughs> what he got in response was one of the longest lists you could mm. possibly have imagined. Um, and then he spent time going through that and saying, this is the stuff I'm not doing now, um, which was fine. Um, but yeah, so I, I gave a very detailed spec. I did give a priority list of the stuff I really cared about. But uh, and, and actually, the one thing that hasn't happened or that didn't happen um, there that was on my priority list, which I think is key, is the creation of order forms within Salesforce and the approval of you know any discounting and so on, all of that operating automatically through Salesforce. So you don't have to have that additional step of making sure that any order form going out is properly completed and all that kind of stuff. I think that's that's it from a practical perspective for a sales manager that matters a lot. Um, so that's the one thing that didn't happen, but the rest of it actually slowly but surely. Um, Seb was getting all of that stuff done and at a very high standard. Shout Sometimes surprisingly Seb. better uh, than what I expected. <laughs> is Seb still at um, is Seb still at Echobox? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Shout out to Seb. What do you think that a sales person listening now, what do you think that they should be looking at for the rest of 2021? I'm going to go back. I, I've worked through a number of really difficult times. Um, so I've, I've seen a couple of recessions, um, and uh, I also was selling 
conference sponsorship in New York when 9-11 happened, um, which was kind of an interesting time to be trying to encourage people to get on planes to go to meetings. Um, and I have to say, one of the first things I was told in sales is the one thing that I'd say to everybody, and that is, look at your output. Look at the salespeople's output. Because no matter how things are, and I know like we're in this weird period at the minute that no one really knows if things are getting better or not. They feel like they are, but no one knows for sure. Um, the only thing that you can do as a salesperson right now is put the effort in um, and actually do more outreach than you've ever done at any other time. Um, that's that's the key to, to getting through difficult times. And I think from for for the from the ops perspective, from a senior sales management perspective and a business management perspective, actually the key to getting this right is not to beat the salespeople up like we used to about their outreach, but actually to be supportive and encouraging because right now sales is probably one of the most vulnerable and exposed roles in any business. Because actually, no matter how good we are at doing our job, there are so many variables in the universe right now that we can't control um, that actually it's a pretty nerve-wracking time for salespeople. So they need support um, and encouragement. So finding metrics in there that say, you know what, you're actually making, you know, you're making headway, you're putting in good effort, you're doing things well, even if it's just something small, is a really good idea in difficult times. Because what you need them to do is make lots of effort even though they're not really winning. <laughs> nice. Final question from me, David, is who in the world of sales ops would you most like to take for lunch? Do I have to go for lunch with somebody from ops? <laughs> <laughs> and are they paying? Uh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, yeah, yes, they're, they're paying, but you, and you can choose. Honestly, uh, I'd probably want to take three people. Um, I'd take... Uh, I should take Seb because I really enjoyed working with him, but um, but but we've had lunch recently. I take Guy Van Den Bush because he's the first person who showed me that you can actually have a great relationship with sales ops from a sales perspective. And I take um, a woman called Trish from The Economist, uh, and I've forgotten the name of the lady who was head of ops at um, at the uh, Institute of Directors, but she was so scary that the service at the table would be amazing. Amazing. So that's four four sales ops people that you shouted out on the show. It seems like, <laughs> David, that you uh you have this, I don't know if it's like a an obvious love, but you have this uh warm feeling towards sales ops people. I think if they if they serve you <laughs> effectively, then you have this warm feeling. But listen, I think for me, look, lots of salespeople want to be kind of pirates and buccaneers and all that kind of stuff, right? Um and I think that that's great as an attitude and approach, but it only works. You know, pirate ships are one of the most tightly controlled organizations there ever were. Um, everybody was in it together and everybody had an equal share. So we're in the same game doing the same thing. And so long as everybody kind of appreciates that, then I think you, you, you have to have a huge amount of respect. And I think the, the policing element that ops do is actually really important. Mm. The SEALs continuing to toe a line. Because um, the temptation to run off is there, um, so it's great to have that. And I think if um, if it's done with the right spirit, which I think almost everywhere I've been, it has been done with the right spirit, which is you know a bit of fun and challenging. Then I think there's nothing but uh, nothing but usefulness in that relationship. Mm-hmm. David, it's been great hearing about the 25 year journey. It's been great hearing about the 
like putting the right data in front of the salespeople, specifically at Echobox, was so impactful. And then it was also great to hear your insights about how sales people can work effectively with sales leaders and sales reps. Um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. And I'd actually like to finish with one point, if I can. Um, and that is, I think everyone working in sales ops or sales analysis should go through the same training process that sales reps go through so that everybody knows what everybody's doing. Um, I think that's the one, the one mm. thing I would strongly advise everyone to do is uh, put, put ops people through sales training. Interesting. That's, this is the big, this is going to be the title of the episode. Um, and that's because when the, the sales ops person goes over to speak to the rep about XYZ, the rep, the rep hopefully knows they've been through the training and they're just kind of a much more productive interaction. Yeah, you don't have frustration with I'm telling you something, but you don't get what I'm saying. People understand what each other are doing. And it, it makes, I think it probably make the ops job a lot easier because mm. you understand what sales are looking for and what they're actually doing. Yeah. Um, and it makes salespeople a hell of a lot less frustrated thinking, why do these guys not get it? Yeah, love it. It's a great insight to finish the episode with. David, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.